This is the 12 Songs of Christmas. My name is Alex Rawls, and this is my podcast about Christmas music. Today, I have two guests as we get closer to Christmas. I finally have New Orleans' Big Frida on the podcast. I have total admiration for Big Frida, and today I talk to her about Christmas music, including her new EP, Smokin' Santa Christmas, which is due out Friday. After Frida, I've got Bay Area retro soul singer Kelly Finnegan, whose A Joyful Sound is one of my favorite Christmas albums this season. We'll get to them shortly, but I want to start today with the 12 Songs Manifesto, which I first published in 2018 at 12songsofchristmas.com. I come at Christmas music as music first, soundtrack to the season second. That shapes my perspective, and I thought it was worth taking a few moments to lay it out. I believe that, one, Christmas music is no more limited to subject matter than love songs. If people heard the same hundred love songs by their parents' favorite singers on constant rotation, they'd hate love songs too. Two, that the classics are the classics for a reason. But I shouldn't have to try to find myself in songs recorded a decade or more before I was born. This is a big one for me, and I'll return to it in a moment. But it's part of the reason that I'm so focused, in a lot of ways, on more contemporary Christmas music. I believe number three, everything sounds better with sleigh bells. That's just true. I believe number four, all Christmas songs are novelty songs, even the serious ones. I believe number five, Christmas music isn't cool, but it doesn't have to be uncool. Last season, I broke this one down with Tulane professor Joel Dinnerstein, who has made a professional study of cool in America. If you haven't heard that episode, check it out. It's, well, cool. Number six, Christmas music is a musician's challenge. He or she needs to give a version a reason to exist. If you've listened to the show much, you've heard me talk about this with many musicians. Exploring this point is kind of the point of this whole show. Number seven, Wonderful Christmas Time is not the worst Christmas song. The worst Christmas song is the one you forgot. We've actually done a whole episode defending Wonderful Christmas Time. And although I understand anybody who gets tired of it, is over it, or finds, finds it grating, at the same time, I still stand by the idea that the worst Christmas song is the one you don't even remember exists. I've got a whole library of songs you've never heard before, and if I played them for you, you would forget them almost before they finished. Number eight, Christmas songs should be fun. Not silly, not goofy, but playful. I should smile. In my mind, that doesn't exclude sad Christmas songs like Phoebe Bridger's If We Make It Through December, which I featured last week. I consider beautiful songs fun. Number nine, good heavy metal Christmas songs don't exist. The genre's worlds are just too opposed. This is a point I admit I need to explore more in the future. But in general, I stand by it. Heavy Metal speaks in capital letters. It's the music made for arenas. And I generally think that Christmas music still has a sort of an intimacy at its core, even when it's made to be sung by lots and lots of people. So I find that notion of intimacy and arena to be a hard one to pull together. I explored this a little bit with Al Petrelli of Trans-Siberian Orchestra in the first season, and we got partway through it, but it became very clear. 
and that and I accept this as a possibility that he hears intimacy in the songs despite the fact that it's made to be played for 15,000 people at a time. That just doesn't necessarily ping for me, but individual mileage varies. Number 10. Rat Pack era arrangements are for Rat Pack era singers. Way too many singers fall into this trap. John Legend's A Legendary Christmas dressed up a singer as excellent as Legend in a 60s tie and tux. And country singer Brett Eldridge literally wore that gear and stepped into Sinatraville on the Rockefeller Center tree lighting special on NBC recently. I already have those records, and I don't need Eldridge or Legend to make new versions of old records. I want to hear what they can do. And finally, number 11. I believe, as John Waters said, good Christmas songs have to, quote, be joyous, even if for all the wrong reasons. They have to be amazing. And really, that's the last word. I interviewed Waters after he released his Christmas album, and the interview itself was a tug of war because he wanted to go to the shtick he'd planned on the songs he compiled for the record, and he had something to say about all of them and how kind of cool and outrageous and crazy they were. And I was doing a piece for Gambit, uh, the local alt-weekly, and I was trying to get him to extrapolate from those tracks to some larger truth. It took a little work, but when he finally stepped up, he nailed it. If anything guides my thinking on Christmas music, it's that quote. It has to be joyous even if for all the wrong reasons, they have to be amazing. I always want Christmas music that reflects the time, actually, I want all music to reflect the time and the world that the performers inhabited. So I want current indie Christmas music as much as I want the classics. Before Christmas, I'm going to post a bonus episode with some of the fun music I found this year. And here's a track from Joyeux Noël, Bon Christmas, an EP by Chaz Justice and a collection of musicians from South Louisiana that's up now on Bandcamp. Here's their version of I'll Be Home for Christmas. I also want to share my contribution to Christmas music. One of my favorite projects of the last few years was Museum Goer, which featured Baton Rouge musician Alex Cook making musical fragments that were designed to be not exactly ambient, but to fit comfortably into spaces and backgrounds. Last year, he made a Christmas EP, and for the occasion, I recreated the spoken word vocals for jazz band leader Stan Kenton's what is a Santa Claus from 1963? Alex took my vocals and created entirely new music unrelated to Kenton's track. 
Here's a piece of that song. About this time every year, the kids ask me, what is a Santa Claus? And I kind of smile, and I remember when I was their age, and the wonderment and excitement that was Santa Claus comes back to me. This magical, mystical creature, who once a year brings so much happiness to so many people, is with us once again. And I remember, I remember what my mother used to tell me when I asked her about Santa Claus. Now to the interviews. I'm a big fan of New Orleans' Big Frida, who has become Bounce's ambassador to the world. There's a lot of Bounce history in New Orleans before Big Frida that's worth digging into. But Frida figured out how to take a New Orleans club sound and make it work in front of audiences around the country. It helps that Frida works like hell and has a voice like a machine gun, easily able to stand out amidst the hyperactive percussive clatter of her beats. Also, bluntly, Frida's a rock star. And when she shared tracks with Lizzo and Kesha, she still shined brightest. This Christmas season, she's releasing her second Christmas EP, Smokin' Santa Christmas, which presents Frida in a more conventional hip-hop uh, context. In 2016, she released A Very Big Frida Christmas, but she's also had a few other stray Christmas tracks as well, including Make It Jingle on the soundtrack for 2016's Office Christmas Party, and on Jingle Dem Bells on RuPaul's Sleigh Bells. Last year, Big Frida re-recorded Make It Jingle as a Spotify single backed by the Preservation Hall Jazz Band. So here we go. This is Big Frida on the 12 Songs of Christmas. It's Christmas time, ho, ho, ho. and y'all know what that means. It's time for big extravagant gifts, the type you find in the driveway. Drive the driveway, driveway, drive the driveway, hey. List and I checked it twice. I want a new portion of matching bins. I could show Santa how to spin. Lips are One of the things I always wanted, I was curious about is what Christmas music did you hear growing up? I mean, all of the, the Christmas, you know, classics from Mariah Carey's Christmas song to um, the Bumquisha Christmas song to just all of the things that we grew up listening to from. Um, Oh my God, I, that, that was tons of stuff that we listened to for Christmas. You know, around the holiday time, usually in New Orleans, they start playing all of the Christmas music. So, um, you know, a little bit of everything. But I've, I'm, I'm excited about this new Christmas project just because um, it's something totally different for me, being that I came with a rap Christmas album this year versus last year. I kind of did a, a bounce Christmas album. So this year is going to be a little bit different for, for the Christmas album for me. Sure. So let's just go ahead and go to that since you just brought it up. So you, so you have a new Christmas EP coming out this season. Tell me about it. Yes. So I'm, I'm excited about it because this time I'm, 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 I'm rapping a whole lot more versus um, what I normally do. And, um, you know, I've been working with new producers on this Christmas album. And, you know, so it's lots of new sounds still incorporating Christmas, but really, um, you know, um, I would say very lyrical 
um, versus what I normally do, um, like my last EP was, the last Christmas EP. So this project is really exciting for me, um, just because it's a new, fresh take on music for me. And it's just very exciting, um, the way that I, you know, put the music together, me and my my producers and my writers. And um, I, did, I wanted to do something different, and this is definitely something different. First track on it the, is uh, "Better Be," and that's gonna be that's the first song out. So, tell me about the story behind that. Well, I mean, you know, for Christmas, usually people want to, um, you know, have all of these nice different things or whatever. And for me, you know, I was just explaining, um, expressing some of the stuff that I would want, and it better be big, better be new, better be. You know, I, red bottom shoes, just different things that I would want to see for Christmas, you know, for myself and, you know, hopefully other people as well. Um, you know, kind of that's where I was, think, you know, what I was thinking about when um, what can I do different um, for for this Christmas EP? And Better Be was one of the first songs that I recorded um, when I started the project and just some of the stuff that I wanted, you know that I will want for Christmas. Sure. And I kind of explained that into, into the song. Why did you start making Christmas music in the first place? Well, when I did the first EP, I wanted to do something different because I like Christmas music. It's a great time. You know, it's, it's the holiday time. It's time, you know, a time that you can lift people's spirit. People's usually, uh, you know, are very happy around the holiday time, especially Christmas. And, um, you know, when I did the last EP, everybody said, you saved Christmas, just the joy that I brought behind it. <laughs> what was the first Christmas record you did? First Christmas record I did was um, Rooted a Big Booty Reindeer. That, and that was, on, that was on, the last, uh, on your last EP, right? Yes, on my last EP. Did, did you do that? Was that before, the, uh, before Make It Jingle? Um, all of that kind of came around the same time. Ah. Um, you know, Make It Jingle, Rooted a Big Booty Reindeer, uh, Jingle Bell Rock, all of it came around the same time because I got placement in Office Christmas Party, all of that around the same time um, last year. So all of that was happening, you know, together. Right. So, and you also, you did a, and you did a Christmas song with RuPaul. Do I remember that right? Um, we, we did, um, we did Freaky Money and we did, yes, we did do a Christmas, um, song and we did Peanut Butter as well. Okay. Can you tell me about that experience? Well, I mean, Rue called and said that she wanted to do a Christmas jam 
and she sent over, um, you know, the my open verse so that I can, you know, make my verse. But the song was already had a hook and RuPaul's verse. So that was pretty easy for me to just slide in and do my verse. And, um, you know, we had done music previous before that. And it was just a fun project to jump on when Ru called, you know, her daughter jumps. <laughs> right. <laughs> jingle, 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 jingle. Jingle, 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 jingle. Jingle, 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 bell, bell, bell. Ninety four Christmas at Chopee. Roll up to the spot for the shindig. So why come your body looking so, so dead? Uncle on the couch looking ready for bed. Did you did you know her before then? Yes. Okay. Yes, definitely. Um, she had reached out many years ago, and we also worked for the same production company, and um, you know, we became friend, friends years back. And when she finally called me and said that she wanted me on her project, I was just blown away. You know, looking up to RuPaul from being young, and as a kid, and you know, look to RuPaul as a role model and just an inspiration. And when I got that phone call, I was just blown away. It sounds like you kind of listened to whatever was on the radio or whatever was being played played around. Did you did you have Christmas records in the house, or were you just sort of listening to whatever was ambient? Well, my mom, both. My mom had, you know, certain songs that she would put on around the holiday time. You know, they had Chris, she had a few Christmas records that she would throw on. But, yeah, we would definitely listen to everything that was on the radio and that was, you know, when it came holiday time that they would they would bump and make sure that all of the Christmas music is bringing us into the holiday spirit. So it was a mixture of both, you know, because when we had certain parties that we did, um, you know, we controlled the music and, and we played the Christmas songs and we would, you know, have our own playlists. Do you remember a song that just was kind of, the first time that you really twigged to Christmas music and thought this is really cool or, or this is something I'm really into? Um, I would say um, Mariah Carey Christmas was, was Christmas song was one of, um, one of my favorites. All I want for Christmas, you know, sure. Um, that, that, that was one of my favorite Christmas songs back then. And there was another one local here in New Orleans. Um, Oh God, I cannot. I think it's Bumquisha, where Bumquisha and Otis. Okay, I gotta look that. You're gonna up. have to. Yeah, you definitely have to look it up. I'm trying to look look for it right now. Um, I think it's Merry Christmas, baby. I'm, I'm looking for. I, it. I, I, have, I, have, I, I just found, found Bumquisha uh, uh, and Otis Christmas, Christmas Blues. blues. Yes, yes, Christmas, Christmas Blues. blues. Okay. So, so you, you knew, knew once they, they played, played this around Christmas time, time in New Orleans, you knew, knew it, was it was around the holiday time. Because they, they would start playing this like right, right after Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving and everybody, everybody would just be like, like so, so happy and, and laughing at the song. And, and like, like it's, it's, it's a very funny song. So definitely make sure you check that out. 
I, I, I am so happy for this conversation, not just because we finally get to talk, but because you have just turned me on to a Christmas song I had never heard before this. So that is awesome. All right, I need to call a timeout here. When Big Frida told me about Otis and Bonquisha, I couldn't believe there was a landmark Christmas song that I completely knew nothing about. And as soon as we got finished, I had to investigate. It turns out I already had the song, but had never listened to it or never paid attention to it. It appears on the Quad City DJ's all-star Christmas album under the name Christmas Blues by Big Time. Time spelled T-Y-M-E. I love What You Want for Christmas from that album, and have skimmed the rest of it a number of times looking for another banger just like it. So I know how I overlooked Christmas blues. It's not a banger. But when the album came out in 1996, many R&B stations in the South picked up on the song and made it part of their Christmas season programming. I want to talk to Big Time about the song, but have so far been unable to find out anything about him, much less where to go for an interview. If anybody out there knows how to reach him, please let me know. For now, though, here's Christmas Blues by Big Time. I'll be back with Big Frida on the other side. Hello? I would like to speak to Bonquisha. Otis? Yes, this is Otis. She well, tell her she is going to hear me one way or the other. Either she steps outside or either she's going to hear me through the door. You know, Bonquisha, ever since you and I stopped seeing each other, I ain't been doing nothing but thinking, thinking, thinking. I ain't been able to sleep. I ain't been able to do nothing that required you being in it. Baby, I know that we've had rough times before, but we got through it. Like the time all the power went off in the house and we had to finish cooking the collard greens on the happy heater, but we did it together. All the time that the froster didn't work on the microwave and the turkey was still frozen, remember we had to get chicken down from Larry's Long Neck Late quarter, late night, chicken house. Remember? But now I don't have you. What is what are some of the things you're thinking about musically? What needs to happen to make a Christmas song sort of sound like a Christmas song? Well, just some of the elements of Christmas, you know, Christmas bells and chimes and um, stuff that relates to Christmas that, you know, gifts and shiny things and glitter and sparkles. And, you know, I'm thinking about everything that you will want to see for Christmas, presents and happiness and, you know, anything related to the, the, um, the fa-la-las and the, you know, the ho-ho-hos and the, you know, all of the Christmas, um, the Christmas lyrics, everything that comes around Christmas, Santa and jingle bells and reindeers and, you know, you're, you're thinking of ornaments and, you know, um, all kind of stuff. But, you know, this year I flipped it a little bit and I'm, I'm thinking about all kind of stuff that I wanted to incorporate into, um, you know, my Christmas album. And instead of, um, you know, like a, a toy shop, I did a boy toy shop where you, you're, you're picking, you know, I have a selection of different um gentlemen that 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 you know so just different stuff and flipping it and and making it into my own you know right do you know a number of some of the songs sound like they're referencing or sort of not exactly sampling but things like uh dance of the sugar plum fairies or i hear like little bits of you know from you uh either they sound like from musicals or you know or references to them how, what kind of things do, how do those songs sort of, uh, how much of a part of your uh, 
Christmas pass for things like like uh, Nutcracker? Um, yeah, all of that was, you know, in, in, in my, um, in my past growing up, you know what I'm saying? You wanted to, um, you know, you would think about all the stuff that came on the Nutcracker, you know, Charlie Brown Christmas, you know, just going back as a kid, just remembering all of the stuff that you saw around those time, those times, even movies, you know, the Home Alones and, and, you know, just all of the fun things that I grew up seeing, and, you know, trying to reference a little bit of this and that from all of the different past um, experiences and things I've saw, you know? Right. Oh, is it me or it's cold in here? times when I've talked to people about Christmas music that they've talked about at some level they had to think about is this what they want to do now and partly because in some cases I remember talking to one musician who said he had a hard time keeping band members to play Christmas music because you know to some degree they think of Christmas as a family time and they didn't start playing rock and roll to have a sort of PG experience and I was wondering you know, if, that if you had to think, stop and think about whether this was sort of the time in your career where you wanted to make Christmas music or or how you thought through the process of, like, doing Christmas music now. I just, you know, with me, I'm, I'm, I'm so blessed to be able to make whatever type of music that I want. And when I wanted to do Christmas, I was just like, I want to do a Christmas album. You know, I want to do a Christmas EP. I want to do a Christmas song. So I didn't... I didn't second guess it. I just went straight forward. And, um, you know, when I did, my team was totally behind it. They was like, hell yes. Oh, my God, let's do it. And, you know, no one had ever done uh, a local bounce Christmas album. Um, I always had been into the clubs. And, um, you know, I would, you know, start to do Christmas songs around um, around the holiday time, like right after Thanksgiving come, I would usually rap a Christmas song over just the instrumental beat. So I've been bringing joy and Christmas songs in the club, but I finally decided to do a project of my own and put out my own Christmas music. Um, you know, because I would do Donny Hathaway, and um, I would do that every year. And I had, that was actually my first Christmas song that I had recorded um, a while back, local for New Orleans on top of a bounce beat. And that's where it all kind of started setting that trend in New Orleans every year. Everybody would expect, oh, Frida going to do her Christmas song and I would have the whole club singing it with me. You Wait, you have a bounce version based of uh, This Christmas? I don't think I've heard that. Yes, of This Christmas, yeah. So that's an old one. We're going to have to pull that one up out the archives. Ah, ah, it was like a... 
it was like a local thing that I did, like I said, and it was kind of a um, someone had recorded me doing it live at the club. But yeah, I do have a, a bounce version of that one, and they also play it on the radio every year here in New Orleans. Um, so it's been out for a while. Oh, that's great. Now, I guess it's sort of a obvious question: Are Christmas uh, records good business? Oh, yes, indeed. That's why I'm so into it now, because it gets great revenue. Uh, it gets great placements in movies. And Office Christmas Party definitely showed me that. Um, and, and just after that, you know, starting to um, get a lot of attention with the Christmas music. You know, a lot of people, like I said, say that I saved their Christmas with just being able to bring them joy in their homes with them and their family. And my last Bounce Christmas EP was just so fun and fuller energy and people could play it at all of their family functions and Christmas parties and stuff like that. And, you know, I got a lot of people posting and making little Christmas videos. So yeah. Oh, that's great. I, I, I love the timing of Christmas. <laughs> so why did you decide to make a more hip hop, less bounce uh, EP this time? Well, just because last time was just more bounce and, you know, wanted to bring it into a new di new direction and try to get more placements in movies and, um, you know, just trying to expand it as, as far, far as I can go. And, um, you know, still keeping the, the bounce bass beat inside of, of, of all of the music, but just expanding, um, you know, it, they won't be expecting Freedom to come with a hip-hop Christmas album. Right. Christmas again, girl. Oh, child, it's Christmas again, girl. Kelly Finnegan loves classic R&B. And as we talk, he outlines the songs and artists who influenced his new Christmas album, A Joyful Sound. I think of what he does as Crate Digger Soul the product of funk, R&B, and soul music fans who are so inspired by the great music from the past that they let their fandom show in their own music. Finnegan talks about all of this, so let's get to the conversation, and we'll start with a song from A Joyful Sound. This is Waiting on the Big Man, and Kelly Finnegan on the 12 Songs of Christmas. Sugar Plum Fairy, Sugar Plum Fairy Terry have been talking about Christmas music a long time, honestly. And I've pushed him to push his roster to write Christmas music. And a lot of mo most people, like 95% of everybody was like, eh. So me and Terry kind of set up, you know, set out to do this. And uh, when the pandemic hit, it kind of just turned into more of like, um, I'm going to do, you know, more, instead of it being a true collaboration, I'm going to do a lot more and he's going to be involved for more of an A&R uh, and a bass player perspective and a songwriter 
he's definitely a songwriter on on multiple tunes. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the spiel. So you grew up with a musical parent, right? You had. Was it- yes, my father is a professional musician and has been since about 1965. How did having a, a father who's a musician? affect the way music and particularly Christmas music came into the house? Um, my dad um, loves Christmas music. I think he grew up in a house. I think his parents were big on Christmas music. Um, and he grew up in a time when it wasn't uncommon to see carolers or to sing hymns in a church or to, I think it was just a different time, especially with the way music and, you know, people who went to church and Christmas, how those things worked hand in hand. So one of my dad's, you know, two of my dad's favorite artists and biggest influences are Mahalia Jackson and Ray Charles. And those were two artists that never shied away from, you know, making Christmas music, particularly, obviously, someone like Mahalia Jackson. So I grew up in a house where I would hear lots of great Christmas music um, and a lot of a lot of the same stuff that became traditional every year, like certain records that the whole family really loved, but also just my dad, um, for a long time, uh, you know, people would come over. We kind of, I wouldn't call it a Christmas party, but just friends would stop by and he would sit down and play, um, silent night and just, you know, basically just bring the room down, you know, people literally just (laughs) crying and yeah, he's, he's got that voice in that way, you know, playing piano and and he does it in a very traditional gospel, you know what I mean? So it's powerful. And when you're there, you know, he's, if, if anybody wants to check out my dad is Mike Finnegan, you'll hear the power in his voice. Like, you know, anybody who's been in a room with someone who can really sing, it's like, it, it, it hits you, man. So that's probably the fondest memory I have is, you know, hearing silent night every year and watching people really react to it. Yeah. Did did you ever participate in uh, in in those those get-togethers, those those uh, Christmas evening eve parties? I didn't musically. I wasn't. I was a very shy kid. Um, I remember singing some Christmas songs in some different school functions, like all uh, grade school kids do uh, in middle school. Um, but no, I I was, you know, I I wasn't there yet. Um, I. I liked the drums, you know, I liked being loud and playing some drums. Um, but my mind wasn't, my mind wasn't there. I wasn't doing music. Sure. Now, I, I tell you the reason I ask is I've talked to a number of musicians who now realize that when they were in that kind of a situation and that playing or joining in with sort of a family sing on Christmas Eve, and watching the response they got was in some cases like the first flicker of realizing there might be something in this. So, oh, so, so I now kind of always ask like, you know, is it cause you know, does Christmas Eve and Christmas music help to at some level get some people started on the, on the path to their own musical career? For sure. No, I mean, it definitely, like I said, it, it definitely feels like it's very much a part of my, uh, musical fiber because like I said it was so it was such a tradition to listen to these particular artists listen to these records and and having music on was, is a big part of Christmas in my house you know whether you're making dinner or you're wrapping presents or you're opening presents or you're just hanging out so what were the records 
that particularly uh, were big in the, the house. The Ray Charles record, the Ray Charles record where he's on the, uh, where you know he's on he's outside. I think it's a late seventies record. Yeah, uh, and he's on the sleigh. The Nat King Cole record by Warrior. He's fireside. Uh, Mahalia Jackson, BB uh, and CC Winan, um, Jimmy Smith. A few compilations, you know, like the Adco. Atlantic Soul compilation with William Bell and Solomon Burke and Otis Redding and the MGs and all that stuff. Um, like a Blue Note kind of compilation that had different things from different artists throughout the years. Uh, Lou Rawls. Um, a Celtic Christmas CD that's really more like bagpipes, you know, yeah. uh, being that I'm from a big, you know, not a big family, but a big time Irish family. Uh so those are the ones that stick out the most. I'm probably missing a couple, but I have to ask because because I love the record. Um, what do you remember about that Ray Charles album? Because it's because it's a real different record from the other ones you're talking about, and and I agree. It's it's sort of a, it, it always seemed to me very much like a very kind of adult uh, Christmas album, and uh, and a pretty sophisticated it, Christmas album. What is your it recollection is man? It? It, 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 at that point, I mean. As I just grew up around hearing those records, like by Ray Charles and Bobby Blue Bland and BB King and all these people, um, so it was just kind of like normal. But as I got older and I did get into music, and and started learning an instrument and started getting way more into production and and, and audio engineering, I definitely noticed how um, it's a really it's a really well put together record in the way that like you can tell at that point, Ray Charles was like truly at the top of his game by the late seventies. I mean, he owned his own studio, he had his label, you know, um, and, and you can tell that there's, there is a lot of freedom on it, but when you give someone like Ray Charles freedom, it's always going to be amazing because his ear and his sensibilities are about as good as it gets when it comes to R and B and popular music, soul, jazz. Um, so it's like, there's. it doesn't sound like a record where he sat there and it was like, and I don't say this as a bad thing. It, it, it's not like the Nat King Cole. You don't have, there's some big arrangements on the record, more horn. I don't think there's a ton of strings on it. But it just sounds like they did it quick and it was a great time and there was a really good vibe and like they captured some amazing moments. It, it sounds like I think most Ray Charles records where it's just like, you're right it stands apart but it's like man it's ray charles like as much as people appreciate ray charles he still is like especially as generations pass and the music is farther and farther away he kind of still doesn't get the due he deserves i don't know What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping whom angels greet with anthems Shepherds watch a keeping. This is 
As time passes, he becomes more and more Mr. What I Say. And uh, and there's so much more to the story. Oh, definitely. I think people, I think like most things, like, you know, if you know music and you're interested, you're going to dig up enough to figure some things out. But it's like, there's still people out there that don't know that like, yeah, Aretha Franklin played the piano. Ray, that's, that's, that's Ray Charles playing, not just singing. Like, oh, yes, that's Stevie Wonder playing everything on this record. You know, that, like, people just assume, you know, oh, Stevie Wonder, he's a singer, cool. So, yeah, I, I think but that's the beautiful part of, of uh, you know, what we're talking about, which is, like, when you dig a little deeper, you not only get to explore the said artist and his pat, his journey, but then you start to, you know, turn over other rocks and find other great artists, you know, whether it be the people who are helping Ray write those songs or other things that Jerry Wexler produced or other things that were on Atlantic. I mean, it always, that's the great thing about curiosity. Well, and it's also a real specific kind of musical curiosity, you know, that, yes. you know, that you're somebody, someone who I assume like me, you know, you bought a record, you looked at the back of it and you realize, Oh, here's these people. And the next time you see that name, okay, I, you know, I want more by that person, or I see this person's name on a lot of records that I have, and starts to become sort of a source of, you know, the liner notes become a source of investigation, and you know, sort of keep moving your curiosity in a in a bunch of directions, and sort of expanding your musical world in the process. No, exactly, and that and that is such that right there. What you're saying is such a huge part of who I am as a musician and a producer and a creator and who, you know, that was a big part of how I became who I am because I figured out who Jerry Jamat was and who Bernard Birdie was and who the Wrecking Crew was. And, oh, the, the MGs are playing on these Otis writing. Oh, that's the Bar are on the Isaac Hayes record. You know, it's like, that's such a big part. And it is, it is interesting that our brains want to do that and other people could care less how any of this was put together or who was a part of it it's just kind of like i like the song it's amazing and that and i'm not yeah. knocking that like there's something really beautiful about it's you're not good like my brain works in such a more crazy way <laughs> just because i yeah. like a song and you're just like well i just enjoy the song i don't know what you're talking about I, sir <laughs> I, it was a really humbling experience but a real eye-opening and i and i'm really glad i had it was there was a time when I was teaching uh, at a community college and I thought a great way to just sort of find out what my students could do was to ask them to write about their favorite song. And, and it ended up being a, a total catastrophe because I had students who were like, I like the one that goes da, 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 da. And I realized, and it was like, <laughs> and I realized so many of them like they knew music from hearing it on the radio or they knew music from hearing it in the club or from hearing it in someone else's car. And so it was always background to an experience. And so the idea that you just stopped and geeked out over a song for three minutes, five minutes, exactly. Was, they couldn't, they couldn't imagine that any more than I could imagine not stopping to figure out who this is. 
And uh, so, I mean, it was really great, a great experience just to remind myself that not only does, do, does, you know, that everybody doesn't think about these questions the same way I do, but that, you know, we might be in the minority. So. Definitely. I think the best thing I could compare it to where people might understand is like, when you're younger and you go to a museum, you just kind of like, you know, you've been walking around looking at things your whole life. So you think it's like, oh, I can understand something by just looking at it for a minute or two. And it's like, as you get older, you notice certain people are standing in front of certain things for a while because they're trying to take it in and really like digest what went into this, this thing that's easy to capture with, you know, one look, but it's like, I, I compare it to that. Cause as I've gotten older, I understand like, Oh, I, I want to stand here and understand what made this person paint this or do this or why they did this. And, but like I said, you know, certain people still to this day, young or old, will just kind of browse the museum and take it all in, and that's good enough. Tell me about Chris about Christmas in Los Angeles. Ooh, good question. Uh, obviously, lots of great places to go and you know go and shop. You know, there's no shortage of like if you want to go get a great present. There's definitely a lot of good stores, <laughs> clothing, retail, malls. I mean, it was never you never had. To, and obviously, when I you know being my age, I'm 39. It's like there wasn't online shopping until a lot later. So. You went out and you bought the presents, you know, um, which I enjoy still. Um, you know, it, it's funny. Living somewhere warm in December was cool when you're, like, when you're younger. It's weird. I liked it. But as I started getting older, it was like, well, I want to be somewhere cold on Christmas. I want to have that kind of, like, you know, that white Christmas. Uh, open up the window and see some fresh powder and everything, um, which I got to do at this point, but it was interesting that I would kind of complain as a kid of like, what, you know, why, when's it going to get cold? <laughs> it's like, yeah. we don't, we don't live anywhere, you know, it, it gets, it gets cold at night. It gets down like, you know, low forties or something. Um, but still it's not snowing. Um, yeah. but uh, a, a bustling town, uh, LA's got a cool yeah. vibe that week before Christmas, you know, everyone's out, you know, everyone, maybe is even a little bit friendlier, maybe a little bit more patient. And some people are even crankier, but um, it's a, it's a, you know, it's an interesting place. Actually. I've never thought about it like that. It's cool to kind of put that perspective on the city, but uh, I've got fond memories. So yeah. the reason I ask is I was a kid in Houston 
Oh, okay. And uh, I, I lived in Canada for 14 years as well. But I was a kid in Houston, and I realized even then that so much of kind of the Christmas mythology that is incor- incorporated in Christmas songs just completely missed me. You know, had yeah. not, you know, you know, had not seen a sleigh, much less had a ride in one. You know, yep. had not, you know, had uh, and the one of the first se- in my first season, I talked with Robert Earl Keane, who was also uh, grew up in Houston, and one of the things we talked about was that neither of us had any idea what a roasted chestnut tasted like while living oh, yeah. in, uh, in Houston. Yeah, I and, definitely uh, didn't. So anyway, so it became kind of fascinating to think about the idea that these songs have this whole sort of iconography and this body of imagery. That doesn't that didn't land at all for me, or landed in a completely abstract way, uh, while living in warm climates. So, just kind of thinking through about like what you know, what Christmas looked like there. No, that's very interesting, I, and I think that was part of, like I said, kind of uh, just the whole idea of yeah, the narrative in those songs is always like, well, it's cold, it's winter. Yeah, you've got. You know, you're sledding, you're, you're, you've got your sleigh, like you said, just all these aspects that, like, yeah, you're in Houston, Texas. It's like, man, what are they, where is this place that they're at? <laughs> um, uh, you know, it sounds, it sounds amazing. Is that part of the reason that you wrote your own songs for this to, uh, to find, for, uh, for Joyful Sound, to find a way to talk about Christmas in terms that are actually relevant to, to your world oh definitely and and it's just i'm just the kind of guy it's like i like i like covers i'm not i think as pete you know as a new generation continues to come into music i think people miss uh what covers is about you don't see a lot of young bands you know you're not going to pick up a record from a new young band and see all covers like you would have in 1970 where it's like, no, we're right. doing Carol King songs. We're doing that. You know, it's like, we're going to great, great songs. That's kind of a different, um, but all those great Christmas songs have just been so, it's hard to find one that hasn't been done a hundred times at this point. And I just felt personally that I was like, well, I love Christmas music and, you know, I'm very protective about what I've done to this point. So, E, the the way I view myself is like it would be strange if I liked me as an artist I would be a little bit thrown if all of a sudden I did a Christmas record just full of traditional I don't know for me I just thought of like that would seem out of character for me so it just became very much a thing where I was like well I want to write some songs and sometimes the fun thing was is like sometimes they just um Sometimes it just happened. And it would even be a thing where it's like, man, this is going somewhere. I, I've got a melody and some chords. But then playing it more, I'd go, well, this could be a Christmas song. And I don't know if everybody has that thought process, honestly, because I think most people, I mean, not to jump around too much, but like one thing I told multiple people was like, one thing I didn't do on this record is write something and go, man, this is really good. It's too good for a Christmas record. I, I want you know I, I wasn't gonna have that attitude because I I've heard people talk like that and go why would I give my best it's like why would you give your best because that's what you do all the time like Christmas music you don't just do it to like to do it and I think that was 
I think that's a different thing that artists, I think there's just a lost sense of why these great records came out. Now to think that sometimes the label owner or A&R or whoever didn't come to them and say, listen, you're hot right now. We need to get some Christmas songs out. Like this would be at your best. Um, but at the same time, I'm sure a lot of artists were like, Hey man, I want to cut some Christmas music. I want to, I want to do this. Let's do this. This sounds fun. Um, so my, my thing was just, yeah, I wanted to tell my own story. I, I, I just wanted it to feel connected to everything else I've done thus far. I didn't want it to just, I didn't want it to be a traditional Christmas record. I wanted to feel very much like, uh, I took something traditional and tried to just, you know, put a different spin on it. Was there an idea behind how you approached writing a song for the album? Like I said, sometimes I would sit down by myself or one time I sat down with uh, two guys I write with quite a bit, Max and Joe Ramey. And and a few times I, I sat down with Terry from Coal Mine. And there was definitely intent of like, all right, we're working on this project. We're working on this song for this. But like I said, there was a few times where I just sat down and started writing, and you know, not even just like, I'm going to write. I don't really do that. I'm like, I'm going to write, I'm gonna write a song, put my pen down, get my car. You know, it's not, it's kind of like something's going on and I get an urge. I get a, you know, I'll sit down, play a little, I'm kind of messing around and then you play something. Oh, that's not, you know, it's a very natural thing for me. Or sometimes I have a melody. It's, I don't have like one way that I write songs. So yeah, there was definitely a couple times where I just started writing something, especially like a uh, uh, heartbreak for Christmas is a perfect example of me just playing around on a piano, playing some chords, finding a change yeah. ah, and ah, then ah. starting to go, Oh, well, I could make this like this could this could work. I could this could be a good thing. And as I started working on it more, that was definitely one of those songs where I was like, well, this is good. <laughs> but and, and I, so I don't but I don't want to, like, convince myself that it's like, no, put it in your back pocket and hang on to it for another. Right. project. Ah, it was ah, like, no, ah, it got me really excited that I was like, this is great. Like and immediately got the idea of like, you know, the story of it, which is like, you know, all you want is this girl for Christmas and Santa steals her. concerned about having a Christmas album be the second album under your own name? You know, it's interesting that I thought about that and me and Terry talked about it and it kind of felt like no, because also part of the thing with my first record was like, because I had that producer instinct really first before anything else, I love bringing people in. I'm working on a song and I'll go, this guy would be great for this. Oh wow, this these these girls would sound 
perfect singing backgrounds on this. Just, you know, putting these pieces together. So there's definitely a lot of great musicians that I know and that work around Coal Mine Records and Daptone Records and all these kind of soul record labels that are on my first label. So given that it was this Christmas record and given that like a lot of this record was made during this pandemic, there's definitely a lot of like getting, oh, okay, I want to get as many people involved with the late coal mine label. So it feels like like the Phil Spector thing almost, where it's like, yes, it's me and I am the singer, I am the artist, but still I'm bringing, there's different musicians on every song. I mean, it's there's not like just the same people. Every, it's not the same cast. It's like tons of guests, tons of different people from around the soul scene. And people who, you know, Joe Crispiano, the guitar player from the Dab Kings, tons of people like that. Um, so I looked at it more of like me guiding this this ship. I, I even though yes, it's a Kelly Finnegan record, it still kind of felt like I said like a like more of a, a compilation with me overseeing it. Sure. I'm just curious. Was part of the point of bringing all these different people together and even different people in on a gig? Was part of it a matter of trying to shoot people a few bucks? Of course. Of course. Yeah. That's a huge thing. Helping people, you know, I mean, it wasn't my, the main thing, but it definitely felt good saying, oh, yeah, this is a perfect time to be able to call someone and say, hey, man, you want to play on my record? Like, here's what I can pay you and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So definitely. I, I love yeah. that question because it definitely felt good doing that. I'll tell you what part of what inspired it is that there is a couple here in New Orleans, uh, Debbie Davis and Matt Perrine, who a number of years ago recorded a Christmas album with a lot of musicians around town. And every year they've done a, you know, done a Christmas show and invited in all sort of musical guests who are part of the record and some who weren't, but who they've become friends with. And there's a place for them in these songs. And when they realized that they were not going to be able to have that show this year, they decided to uh, record a volume two oh. and bring all those musicians in. And part of the point was is to get those people paid and to help people who who obviously live from gig to gig a, a chance to pick up a paycheck because they don't have gigs these days. Definitely. No, uh, I think... Uh, anytime right now, anytime you can do anything that's going to feel like a boost in morale and a boost in just that feeling that we all love so much of just getting in a room with other people and making noise, <laughs> you know, and just yeah. hanging out, shooting the shit. Like just, it, there's just, it's, it's, I had a rehearsal last night and I've been rehearsing more and more because monophonics has a live stream coming up next week. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it feels good to not only just be playing the music, but knowing that, like, you're helping in some way, you know, not only the fans, but other musicians, you know? And it's just some, some normalcy feels great right now. Did you have musicians in the area, or did you have people fly in parts from wherever it's they a are? Mi it's a mix, definitely. There's definitely a lot of people who are in the room with me. And then there's definitely some people who are like, you know, like Joe Crispiano, he lives in Staten Island. So he overdid his, you know, overdubbed his part and then sent, sent it to me. Uh, so it. there's definitely some of that uh, on particular songs, you know, and that's What's, not honestly, that's not the way I really like to do it. It's not, I'd say out of everything, that was like the biggest, um, 
the biggest, you know, because when you're me personally, when I'm making a record, you know, it's it's there is like a control factor. I have a vision. I want things to be a certain way. And for people who understand that, uh, they know exactly what I'm talking about. So sometimes I'd get this anxiety of like, oh God, he's sent the part. Like, I hope I love it. Like, you know, because you, I wasn't yeah. in the room. I couldn't sit there and go, no, no, let's not do that. Let's try this. Or yeah, that's, that's great. You know? So it's hard sometimes when you can't, you know, even though we talk about what I'm looking for, what I want, blah, blah, blah. When a musician sits down and they start doing things, you know, we all have our own impulses of like, Oh, I like this. You know what I mean? And sometimes I might not like that. So that was the toughest part was definitely like, and it never happened, but it's just that anxiety of like, oh, okay, here are the files. Like, <laughs> I, hope, I, hope, I hope I love them. One of my favorites on the album is uh, "Santa is Watching You," because yep. because it sounds because it sounds like a threat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what's the story behind that one? Uh, we'll see. So um, I meant to mention that we were talking about the songwriting. So actually, one thing I did do is I took two songs and made them Christmas songs. So. Santa's watching you is actually an old like funky soul gospel thing from North Carolina by the sacred four. And it's just called somebody's watching you. Somebody's watching you straight up gospel. Uh, and I don't know. I was just like, I saw it somewhere and my brain, you know, when you get into this and you're doing it, like anybody would tell you like all that. I was thinking about Christmas music constantly. I was thinking about Christmas constantly. I was like pulling up records and different things and searching and just trying to find little inspirations and things that it was like, well, okay, I know what I want to do. Is there anything like that? That I, is there any, has anybody said that? Is anybody, so I don't know, you know, listening to something and the, the sacred four tune came up and I just, I saw the word watching you <laughs> and my brain yeah, went, uh, Santa watches people. <laughs> uh, uh, so, and the tune uh, is killer, man. I mean, you hear my, my, my song is basically, it's very much a cover in that style, but it's, I took everything and made it about Santa. So, uh, that's is a semi kind of cover, but twisted into, so that was really the inspiration. And I called Terry immediately and just went, 
what do you think about this? And he said, I keep doing that. Uh, and he said, man, I, I think that's cool. Let me call. So the people who control the original recording of the Sacred Four, Somebody's Watching You, is a great record label out there called Numero. And they do a ton of amazing reissues of lost music of all genres. And uh, he said, let me call Rob over at Numero and see if, if, if that's cool. Because they could basically, they could kind of say no if they wanted to. So he called him and Rob was like, yeah, that sounds great, man. So uh, that was one of the tunes where like uh, Terry and his, um, and a guy he uses on drums, Henry, they went into the the coal mine studio uh, uh, up there in, in Ohio and they cut the drums and bass. And then he sent that to me and I added the organ and I had uh, the wonderful Mr. Jimmy James from the Delvon or uh, Delvon Lamar organ trio play guitar on that tune. And then um, I had the Harlem gospel uh, singers from New York. That's also a coal mine act. Um, they, they sang some backgrounds on it as well. And so it's really a team effort. Really. That's definitely one of the ones where it's like a, a full on team effort and uh and it seems to be a song that uh, people who hear the record, it, it's definitely a standout. It's got a, I mean, if you love gospel music, man, it's like the spirit's there in the music. And that's, I'm such a fan of gospel that like anytime I can do it and do it right, I, it makes me so happy. You know he sees you when you're sleeping. Better watch out Well, you better not cry No, no I'm here to tell Do you, do you have a favorite song, or is there a song you're particularly proud of on the record? Uh, honestly, it's just a really hard question because I have... Uh, I mean, I really love this new single, No Time... Uh, uh, I'm messing up my own song names. No Time to Be Sad. Um, because I just love the way everything came together and the way that um, we got the orchestration to sound with JB flats arranging it. I'm such a Curtis Mayfield fan and I'm such a fan of those Charles Stepney arranged rotary connection records and mother, you know, just, uh, 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 man, I'm forgetting the other Charles Stepney release, but I'm just such a fan of that, that I think that's a big, for me, that's a big part of, traditional Christmas music is like the whimsicalness of orchestration of violins and brass and French horn and harp, all these things working together for me really gives this kind of winter, you know, magical starry night, you know, just it has an element to it 
that I love. Um, but I, there's, I could talk about that. Sorry, I could talk about that with every song because every song is so different. So you know how it is, man. You interview musicians. It's like we, yeah. it's like they're they're our children. I can't really pick one. Big Frida and Kelly Finnegan for the time and the talk. Finnegan's A Joyful Sound is out now, and Big Frida's Smokin' Santa Christmas will be out on Friday. Let me know what you thought about this episode at 12 Songs of Christmas on Facebook. And if you know anything about Big Time and Christmas Blues, please let me know. Thanks to AF the Naysayer for the theme music, and thanks to you for listening. We'll finish with one more from Big Frida. From a very Big Frida Christmas, this is Jingle Bell Rock. Talk to you next week. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. I'm Big Frida, want you rock around the clock. Shaking and bouncing, it's working too.